Hello and welcome to Growing Tech Fast, the condensed Org 3D podcast where we talk about growing tech startups with those who have grown them. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Emre Coxal, the founder of Datanker. This is a unique and expanding startup in the data security space. Uh, Emre, it's such a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. How's it going? Great. That pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, look, for the sort of um, purpose of our listeners, Emre, I'd love to start off if you could just sort of give me a brief introduction into who you are, kind of what your mission is, and the work that you're doing at the moment. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I am, um, I was born uh, in Ankara, Turkey. Uh, that was my hometown for 20 years. And uh, after college, I uh, moved to Boston. Uh, for uh, uh, graduate school for PhD at MIT, uh, where I spent six years plus uh, some more for uh, further research there. I couldn't have enough. <laughs> so uh, after that, I uh, moved to Switzerland for around 18 months or so. And then I uh, finally made my move to Columbus, Ohio, uh, as a professor of uh, electrical and computer engineering at Ohio State University. Uh, always been interested in um, you know entrepreneurship and building stuff my passion is building simple uh, technologies for difficult problems obviously easier said than done so it's not like <laughs> I come up with one every other week I mean it's <laughs> so uh, but I, I I love it when I have one and uh, for anchor I wanted to do it uh, you know as a company myself rather than just uh, phasing out the technology to somebody else uh, to take it because uh, for a variety of reasons you know including it being uh, you know addressing as you have said a an extremely large market with uh, you know, the very need, it's the right time, it's a blue ocean approach, but it's the right time. And, um, you know, I was super excited to uh, build it myself as a founder. Before that, I was, you know, when I was at MIT, I was involved in Sycamore Networks and optical, uh, uh, you know, switching startup. That was very exciting as well. That kind of triggered my desire to build it uh, on my own. Uh, and even at Ohio State University, I did uh, build other technologies for other uh, companies like uh, local and uh, global companies. I have two kids, one eight, uh, another 13, uh, two daughters. Uh, that's basically between work and um, you know the kids, their activities, that's kind of uh, full-time. Yeah, sounds it. So you're a professor a startup founder and leader and the dad of two young girls. I don't know how, you're, how you've even got time for this, to be honest. <laughs> um, so when, kind of, when did you first become interested in the sort of concept, uh, concepts of cybersecurity? What, at what point did you first get exposed to those kinds of problems? Sure. sure. So uh, my general area is data science, okay? I have worked on uh, uh, you know, communication of data, networking of data, security of data. Those are all, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say completely independent dimensions of uh, the puzzle. So it's all about, you know, uh, making things center that data and making them as simple as possible. So my specific interest in the security dimension of data 
came about when I was an assistant professor, like early, uh, um, you know, I would say between 2006 and 2009. It, it was an amazing problem. It was a, uh, uh, you know, mind-provoking problem. One of the things that I, um, uh, you know, particularly got interested in was the culture in security is typically, I mean, because of the width of the attack surface, uh, there were, um, you know, very minimal uh, amount of unifying approaches. I mean, it, this is unlike uh, different areas of science. For example, in data communication, there's a well understood model and you mm. keep building on it. And the problems are, uh, you know, easily clearly defined in a mathematical framework. It wasn't the case in security because the the one uh, I don't want to call it disadvantage. Let me say one thing that makes security rich is um, uh, you know the model is dictated by uh, the attacker rather than the nature, right? Mm -hmm. This is kind of a unique feature of security, and when it's dictated by an attacker, uh, you know it's like an attacker's imagination which is very broad and it's not like you can say, hey, I'm gonna have the same behavior from today to tomorrow to the next day. There's lack of stationarity in that regard, which is uh, kind of the contributing factor to the perhaps the lack of unification of global approaches. Uh, rather, it's been more like a cat and mouse game. Hey, there's this kind of attack. How do we address it? Defense, attack, defense. Attack. So it's it's uh, uh, it's been that way. I, I mean, try to find a way to unify and, you know, uh, come up with some uh, unification, you know, uh, as much as I can. And I felt like that could be done, not fully, but to some extent when you focus on data itself, uh, rather than the big castle around your networks and everything. So, um, uh, you know, it was a very long answer to your simple question. I apologize for that. I don't know if I have answered it properly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you, you've definitely answered it properly. Um, and I know, I know what you mean about it's uh, no, no two days are the same, I suppose. And it can be quite reactive as well, cybersecurity. You're responding to what the problems are, basically, as and when they're created. And I guess it's kind of a... Um, an endless cycle, really, where you come up with solutions to defend against attackers. So they have to come up with new ways of attacking you. And one kind of beast <laughs> feeds the other, I suppose. <laughs> right, um, right. Mm -hmm. So I, I speak to quite a lot of startup founders with, um, with, with kind of varying backgrounds, right? So often you'll get um, someone who's from a sales background, for example. Um, and so the way that they start and then grow their company is quite sales focused and cultured around that. You also get people who have been, um, you know, founding engineers for a lot of startups and kind of build that way. It's not often I speak to someone who has a, such a highly academic background, you know, mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. been um, professors uh, and stuff like that. So do you do you think that that kind of background has helped you in, in this particular venture? Does it give you any different kind of skill set or approach that helps you when looking at a startup challenge? Actually, that's a great question. I mean, part of the reason why you may not have seen it uh, more common is uh, because, like, I mean, academic way of thinking is... Uh, uh, 
not necessarily in terms of fully aligned with the business and marketing or maybe, um, you know, looking for that wide market kind of thinking. It's more like, hey, let me seek a difficult question, difficult problem to solve. And you feel good about yourself when you solve that difficult problem. Uh, one thing that people in academia uh, typically miss is, okay, just because you solve a difficult problem doesn't mean that there's a need, like a customer need, true customer need for that, or the market is wide. There may be a need, but the market may be niche. So uh, that is one thing that I think, uh, uh, you know, academics uh, trying to build or striving to build a startup should be careful about because the customer need is very different and it, it doesn't like being innovative doesn't mean that you're solving a core problem addressing a specific customer need so that may be the reason why you haven't seen a wide variety of academics um uh, in the field so i um, you know having experience from other startups and talking to as many people as i can before getting into it uh, uh, you know uh, i basically surrounded myself with people who understand the business side of things or have experience mm -hmm. in uh, those dimensions, which helped me a lot. Uh, I am, yeah, I also view myself as an engineer as much as an academician. So, uh, you know, you have to, I mean, I didn't know anything about business, but, uh, you know, I didn't pretend like I know something about mm -hmm. business. So, uh, you, you have to find that uh, power. You need a lot of different strengths, right? Not just, um, uh, you know, technical or business. Like you need marketing, you need uh, people thinking in different ways. So you have to you have to find the balance in that. You have to acknowledge your strengths and, um, you know, uh, also acknowledge weaknesses as much as you acknowledge your strengths. So that's, that's the way to go. And make sure that you address a core, customer problem before anything i mean uh, just to uh, put it out there, i mean if you're it doesn't have to be innovative whatsoever if you're simplifying the life of a group of people can be consumers it can be business people then you probably have a good business idea there it doesn't have to be innovative hmm. Good point. Yeah, people like an easy life at the end of the day. <laughs> so that's uh yeah, it's a powerful pursuit. Lazy by nature. Indeed, yeah. Work smarter, not harder, basically. <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned a couple of times there, um, uh, Ohio State University, and I know that that um, relationship between them and um, Date Anchor, sort of through yourself, working, you know, you've got a foot in each camp, really. How mm -hmm. kind of has that relationship helped to impact the success of your company? What, what does that kind of relationship provide to you in terms of benefits? Sure. I mean, at the beginning, so one thing is skills, right? I mean, being near a source or uh, an attraction for high level skills, people uh, that are highly skilled is very important and very fruitful. So I had, uh, for example, uh, my co-founder uh, was a former graduate student of mine. Um, like it's super smart, you know, extremely skillful person. Our first engineers were also, um, you know, either my former students or I had the reach to them and had conversations with them because we live in an academic environment. So that's uh, first and foremost uh, the point of, um, uh, I would say, uh, advantage and 
you know, richness uh, mm. here. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, once we have the IP, we, uh, you know, OSU got a, um, a, a percentage of the, um, uh, the organization in, in terms of equity. And uh, we have basically had an arrangement where we are currently uh, completely independent. But again, having said that, there is definitely a, um, a a great advantage of being in an environment where uh, especially young people come in and you know they want to they're excited they have high energy and you have access to speaking to them and you know working together with them that's that's the best part of it cool yeah perfect no it's really um really interesting sort of source of talent as well and uh yeah i'm surprised not not more companies do that i suppose but i suppose with your background you're in quite a unique position to sort of take advantage of that huge benefit really especially kind of how difficult it is to find those kind of skills um so i guess kind of continuing the um thread of you know relationships that benefit the business and its success something that i'm seeing quite a lot as well at the moment especially in the security space is earlier stage companies moving into more of a sort of channel partnerships and alliances model in how they go to market um i know that you have quite quite a um strong partnerships network as well so how has sort of working with partners helped you um to, to be successful and kind of grow the, the business Oh, that's our core uh, go-to-market model. Actually, we we work with partners. Uh, it definitely puts channel partners like reseller, MSP, MSSP uh, partnerships, but also technology partnerships because like things are typically, at least the way we do things at uh, Data Anchor, very complementary to other technologies. So we also uh, benefit from technology partnerships as well. It is great. I mean, one of the things um, uh, that you should note about, as you said, cybersecurity is that it's very difficult to sell security. Okay, mm. uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is not a, a sexy pr- proposition to say, "Yeah, I'm gonna enhance your security." Okay, <laughs> so it has to come again. Going back to has to come from a specific customer need. Um, uh, what can it be? For example, compliance is a good example. So because this security is becoming a national security issue, governments are pushing for uh, compliance requirements to do business in the first place. So it's a core need for a business. So uh, compliance is highly tied to security. And, uh, you know, that that's a business need. Another business need is, uh, you know, organizations want to obtain cyber insurance, right? But because, again, of what's going on in the world, it's becoming more and more difficult to even obtain a policy, let alone obtaining an expensive policy, right? So, uh, you know, where I'm uh, trying to tie this to your original question is the best people that know the needs of the customers is uh, those partners. So Mm. the channel partners say, oh, yeah, I exactly know where you would add value to the specific customer because they have been looking for uh, um, something in your field. So uh, it, it helps a lot. Uh, and the reason maybe it's more common than not in the field of security is uh, you need that business uh, a problem uh, to sell, which is in contrast to selling security, more secure uh 
data more secure network, which is uh, more tough. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. It's a re really good point. Yeah. And it's, uh, you're right. It's not always a sexy uh, proposition. Um, and often you're kind of, I think the interesting thing about security, which I've said before, is that it's uh, a lot of evangelizing the market. So you're often having to educate around a specific threat or a specific um, law that someone doesn't even necessarily know about um, mm -hmm. before you then go and sell. So you're kind of, it's kind of double the work, I suppose. Um, so the, that kind of leads me on actually to a question I was interested in asking. You mentioned the core customer problems that you're having to sell mm -hmm. against. What is the kind of most common um, customer problem that your product specifically is solving. And as you kind of said at the start, you like to make simple solutions to difficult problems. So how is it that you're kind of solving that, that problem? Sure. Let me give an example. I mean, continuing on the compliance perspective, uh, compliance is something that we really make easy. So uh, as an example, for example, NIST is something that uh, an organization here uh, which is like a follow-up version of NIST is called CMMC. Those are two requirements that uh, organizations here need to comply with in order to make contracts with the Department of Defense or in general with the government. So, uh, you know, one thing that we do uh, at Anchor is, for example, because we make security data-centric, like core make data protect itself, uh, it is so much easier compared to building a big um, perimeter or a castle around your network, okay? Mm. Because, uh, because if you do the latter, uh, the attack surface grows and it's a matter of time that an attacker can access your data. But if you start at the data, now it, you don't need a castle to keep it inside. It can travel and it remains secure. And it's so much easier. It's so If you do it right, so much easier and fully transparent. So that's one dimension that we make it uh, easy for the customers, compliance, right? But in general, there's so much application if you think about it. Be making, I mean, think of making data its own secure boundary. So, uh, you know, it travels with data, for example, collaboration. Many of our customers want to collaborate with others, but they're reluctant because there's no controls. When you send your files to your collaborator, they own it, not just access it, but they own it. So you have to now make NDAs, you know, all kinds of contracts. So we, we are asking, hey, wouldn't it be nice that you control even when they're, uh, um, you know, consuming it? Mm -hmm. Like another example is that the friction point uh, that our customers see is um, uh, employee turnover. So when we leave, we all do this, by the way. I mean, when we leave an organization, we take data with us. We take our former projects, we save it to our personal, whatever, uh, folders, USB, removable stick. I mean, we, we keep it with us and we think that it's our right. Uh, but, you know, it's in most uh, uh, situations, it's a very, um, uh, for especially in the case of small to mid-sized businesses, it's like a, an existential issue. So mm. uh, it would be nice to eliminate that. I mean, without adding friction to the workflows, without adding, uh, you know, lack of transparency to the user workflows. So those are some of the things that we um, uh, we can help with, but you have to focus because you're a startup. So uh, we focus on a few problems around uh, uh, making security an integral part of data. 
Cool. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, so you mentioned as a startup, you're focusing on a few things. Have mm-hmm. you got have you got an image in your mind of kind of in ten years, fifteen years, this is how here we want to sort of where we want to be? Sorry, or, or are you kind of taking it one day as it comes at the moment? No, I mean we have we have uh, ambitious long term uh, uh, actually goals and uh, vision. So, you know. I mean, again, I know I'm giving long answers to your easier questions, but if you just take a step back and if you look at like the information revolution, what we have done is the first 50, 75 years until the computer power catches up with that was like being able to communicate and store data in an error-free fashion. And then like early 1990s, we built the internet and made it wider. So which means now data is accessible anywhere, right? And in the first part of 2000s, we made it, um, uh, uh, you know, we indexed it. Now it's accessible within the matter of milliseconds, right? Mm. Uh, And now that it's accessible and so abundant, the last decade has been about utilizing it. Like machine learning is about what why machine learning has been around for 50, 60 years, why it has gained, you know, that AI gained its popularity in the last uh, 10 years is because of the abundance and ease of access to data, right? Because it's abundant and now we have enough data to train, uh, um, you know, uh, algorithms that we need for that. Uh, We believe the next 10 years is gonna be controlled because now it's so abundant businesses start to see major problems. Why? Mm. Because like now my data, it is safe to assume that my data is everywhere, right? I mean, just because it's in your castle, in your network, uh, doesn't mean that you have uh, ownership of it. It's anywhere. So now the assumption we should start with is my data, you know, people universally has access to my data. And yet the question is, do I still have control of it? Can I, for example, revoke access? That's what, I mean, you're in Europe. GDPR is about having control, about being able to forget or uh, uh, take away control as you wish as the owner of data. I believe the next decade is about uh, going to be about that. Without taking the utility away, can we add the control to the data? And our vision as an organization is in the next 10 years to be the leader of uh, being able to control data, no matter no matter where it's accessed, it can be accessed by my collaborators, by me, by my employees. But I still retain control of it. Right, fantastic. So leading the forefront in putting the genie back into the bottle, basically. <laughs> yes, put it carefully, putting back the genie in the bottle without taking away any of its utility. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, well, I appreciate we're kind of getting to the the end of the time here, Emre. I just kind of wanted to finish with one final question. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of designed, I uh, really, to, to uncover if there's any lessons you've learned in the past sort of four years to to pass along to any of our listeners. So if, uh, if you were able to go back four years to th- sort of the first day that you started Anchor, is there anything that you would change about how you kind of have kind of approached that journey? Yes. So, um, so right. I mean, personally, the answer is yes. So sometimes you need to pivot quickly, right? Mm. 
but there's also a trade-off between pivoting qu quickly and uh, patience because i mean uh, you know again that's kind of being an academic uh, the process of for example working with somebody is a long-term thing right i mean you have to understand train work together and then they align with you but the time scales in business is much shorter so in situations where you have sometimes i mean your gut feeling that something is not going to work maybe it's better to act quicker on that gut feeling as opposed to okay you know to be fair i want to be a little more patient on this so pivoting a quicker but carefully mm. is I'm, I'm not saying okay keep changing your strategy from one day to another strategies and principles are longer term but uh, you know ideas or execution methods on them can be shorter term and act quicker act fast uh, because the time scales are much shorter uh, in in business especially in startups cool. so that's the thing that i would change nice a powerful message definitely for a lot of the, the people that listen here and uh, i think that tops off a lot of uh, a lot of really useful lessons and advice from you today emre i've uh, really enjoyed that conversation so thank you so much for the time and being on here and uh, hopefully it won't be the last time uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, it was a pleasure being here. Thanks. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, um, thanks to Emre Coxal. And uh, for those of you at home, tune in next time to Growing Tech Fast.